Native Informant podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Saira. I'm so excited for you to be here because honestly, all of the videos that I've seen of yours, given the unfortunate, atrocious situation with regards to Palestine and Israel, I thought, who better to have a conversation with than the master of communication, <laughs> which is you? So please tell people how you started, where this all came from, and, and why this is really important to you. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I started this because I received an email from my employer and I work in Canada. So this is like a very North American atmosphere where it's very blatantly biased on like, you know, shortly after October 7th. So they were like, our hearts go out to the people of Israel, to like our Jewish community. And it was very, very one-sided. And I have always been very interested in communication and how psychology intersects with communication and translation as well, because that's something I've also studied. And I've been in this circle where, you know, I do copywriting, I do voiceovers, I write things professionally. So I thought, you know what? Okay, if I'm going to combine all my years in therapy, okay, with the skills that I have, how would I talk to my employer to make sure that they also see us? This email went out to 36,000 people. And I was like, out of the 36,000 people, there are Palestinians, there are Arabs, there are Muslims that are being affected by this communication. So how do we go about and show our side of the story and let them know that this is not okay? And honestly, that's how it started. And that was my first video, really, into showing people what's an appropriate corporate way to communicate, how to let them see us. Because honestly, th this has been a very continuous issue for the world, for us to be seen, for us to be heard. And it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating. But we've learned tools now that we're here, you know, to communicate in ways where we're not really sacrificing who we are. And I think that this is a very, very important point in history where this is happening for pretty much, I want to say, the first time. And do you want to give people a bit more information about your background? You're Palestinian yourself? Yes. I'm Palestinian. I grew up in the Arab world my whole life. A lot of a lot of people think, also from my videos, a lot of critics that I have from the West are mostly like, oh, you grew up in the West, you're so privileged. And I'm like, uh, no, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I learned English when I was 14, for example, <laughs> like academically. So really, like most of who I am is really grounded in my Arab identity. It's it's very important to me to not have my culture kidnapped. Because I feel like a lot of us third culture kids have our culture kidnapped in a way when we go to the West and when we are educated in the West or when we live in the West, there's like some sort of cultural kidnapping that has to happen or some sort of separation that needs to happen. And I'm absolutely against that. I, I feel like it is so important. Part of who we need to be as Arabs in this world is to be so grounded in who we are, yet learn the tools to communicate who we are very effectively without compromising. Was there a reason why you thought it was so important to have that intersection between psychology or the way in which we understand communication and semantics and nuance? Why was that so important for you? It's very important because the way we interpret the world, Saira, depends on two things. It depends, first of all, on our belief system of how we are perceived in the world. And then two, the belief system we have about the world. So this is how psychology comes into it, because I'm going to give you an example. If I believe that I am weak in the depths of my soul, if I believe that I am unworthy of the world and to be a part of this world, which is the messaging that we do receive from the outside, because what does it mean when you are an Arab kid 
growing up in the Arab world and you know that you don't have the opportunities that the kid in Switzerland has. And, you know, you, you don't realize it like from the get go, but you realize it as you grow up and you start getting exposure into the world. All of these things form beliefs that we have about ourselves. And these beliefs translate into how we see the world. And these beliefs translate in how we communicate to the world. Because if I don't feel like I am worthy to be who I am, if I'm not grounded in my culture, if I don't understand what it means to be Arab, if I don't understand what it means to be Palestinian, if I don't understand what it means to be Muslim, then I will believe their definitions of me. And that's a lot of the times where people kind of, I feel like, feel like they're, they're not worthy to say what they want to say. And the world conditions us this way. You know, a lot of the messaging that we receive is that what we say is not important. Our opinion is not important. Just, you know, like go on about your life, try to strive to get your basic needs met. And that's about it. And we sort of like fall into this MLM <laughs> system of lying to each other and fooling each other where it's like, OK, if I get privilege, you get privilege and then we're going to be hush hush about it. So nobody else gets it. So this is why I felt like it, it's, it's really, really important to highlight that. It's interesting that you should mention that because I had mentioned previously in other podcasts about the difference between high context and low context cultures, that Arabs are more likely or more often than not to communicate within nuance or things that aren't so direct. There's a little bit more obscure and ambiguous terms. Yes. So if an Arab is upset with you, they're never going to say directly that they're upset with you. They're going to kind of move around the idea to not offend you because it comes from what we know as Arabs as basic common courtesy and respect. But what happens is that we end up creating an environment where we are catering to the other's needs at our expense. Yes. And so when you speak about communication, I definitely feel like that's the case. If you are part of an indigenous culture, you automatically get labeled as the aggressor. Automatically. Uh -huh. We always have this kind of Jedi mind trick in our heads about what is it that we're actually trying to get across from that type of dynamic? Why do you think that comes up so much in the media? It's manipulation. That's literally what it, what it is. It boils down to manipulation because they're inundated. People are inundated with like a lot of information. We're in a time in history where there is so much information that you need to be very smart and selective on how to filter out information. I always say, like I used to teach and I used to always tell my kids, I'm like, kids, the best skill you can have is how to discern important information. Radical honesty doesn't make you work hard. I tell you, it's a straight shooter. You get it, you know, but if I go like beat around the bush and say things and like try to manipulate the words, then I'm making you work hard. I'm, I'm giving you the emotional, intellectual labor of saying, oh, my God, why did this bother me so much? And then you have to go dig deep in your soul. But again, people are becoming way more savvy and, and very aware of what the media is trying to do. And for that, like, I'm really grateful. I'm, I feel like I'm very hopeful that we're, we're at an inflection point. And people are like, okay, yo, you're playing me, <laughs> okay? And I don't want to be played. Some media outlets were backtracking, you know? They were like, oh, yeah, but also, you know, like, it is a little bit, un you know, over the top. And, you know, I'm going to give the example of, like, Pierce Morgan or CNN or having, like, one article in the BBC versus none at all, having one article, like, in the New York Times versus none at all, be because you can't ignore all these people. You just literally can't. And... Eventually, what all this boils down to is how people want to hold on to privilege, you know, and in a sense right now, people are competing for who holds on to privilege and who's empowered and who's disempowered by the truth. And there are fear tactics. People are losing their jobs. 
people are not allowed to speak up. People are not like, it's just a lot of fear and there are a lot of threats and that's kind of like stage one. And then eventually if everybody sticks the course, they can't take everybody down. So a lot of the times there is like right now, maybe temporary losses of privilege in order to stay the course and correct to literally see a more just and free world, which is, I think, everybody around the world wants right now. The thing that I always seem to think about in the back of my mind is how much exposure that we are getting to social media in terms of the horrific images that we're seeing. You have one end of the spectrum where people are like, I don't want to see this. This is too much for me to bear. I feel overwhelmed by this and I, I don't want to become desensitized versus the other end of the spectrum of people being like, you have to watch this. You mm. have to completely oversaturate yourself until you're blue in the face when it comes to these types of images yeah. so that you recognize how horrendous this experience is. Right. And my worry is because of the oversaturation that people get to the point where they normalize this type of imagery yeah. and they think like, oh, this is just another day in the park. And so my question is, how are we able to discern and filter information mm. that is going to be helpful in us making a difference versus just contributing to our ability to be desensitized by these types of images. I love this question so much because I also made a video about this, about how seeing all of these images, because images are, are tools of communication. They're communicating something to you. You know how they say like a picture is worth a thousand words. It really is. And a lot of the times when you see images of your community, like people like and and, it, and and there are layers to this you know when it's your the members of your community the impact is awful and then when it's humanity as a whole then it's awful but kind of like at a lesser degree you know you're, you have degrees of separation from like the situation that allows you the comfort of dissociation you're like oh yeah well these people are in Gaza they're in Palestine I live in California I don't care you know but we don't really have that privilege so that there is a layer of investment and I think, and I've made a video about this, which was a little bit controversial. The main aim for everybody who is on social media or anywhere in the world is to have a regulated nervous system, to not be inundated with weakness and overwhelmed by hopelessness, because that's a tool of manipulation as well, because they're weakening your organism, literally. People need to choose how much dysregulation can I handle? You know, I, I can't dictate that on everybody, but I think that I can't dictate what people in Gaza do. Like people in Gaza need to share this because that's a way for them to regulate their nervous system. And for us, we can see it, but it depends on how much you want to see it. I don't, I don't judge, you know, wherever you are on the end of the spectrum, you do you. As long as you have a regulated nervous system, as long as you're sharp, as long as you remember how strong you are, as long as you don't become hopeless. Because I get a lot of messages too on social media where people go like, oh, I'm so hopeless. I'm like so overwhelmed. I'm so, don't, don't get to this place because now you can't fight. Now you can't be on your wits, like knowing what to do and what to say. And obviously we all fall through the cracks, you know, like we all fall through the cracks. There are days that are worse than others, but truly I legitimately feel another form of resistance is to be very, very grounded in your strength and in your hope and in your imagination, because change has never happened because of reality. Reality doesn't dictate change. The imagination dictates change. When we think of freedom and we think of liberation, we think of all of these alternative realities that we want to live, we're not going to get inspiration from the current reality. 
We're going to get inspiration from an imagined reality that we're going, we're going to work towards. One of the things that drives me up the wall is our fellow Arabs, whether it's Muhammad Hijab or Loki or people within that sphere, even Basim Yusuf, who right. are clearly <laughs> articulating in a very clear and concise manner with a level of decorum and respect and understanding are treated as second-class citizens on air. When you have people like Basim Yusuf, and he had an interview recently with this guy called, what was his name, Adam Sos, I, I can't even remember. And clearly- I know this, who you're talking about, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, clearly he was coming in from a very racist angle that he was trying to disempower him by applying the whataboutism logic or yeah. even throwing out jabs, whether it was ad hominem attacks here and there. I mean, God bless him. Basim was really trying to kind of stand his ground and not get upset and not get annoyed. And just to explain himself the same way that you have the stereotype of the angry black woman, you have the stereotype as the sort of the Arab savage that can't control themselves and is all like barbaric in nature and primitive in the way that they think. And so we are not given grace to be upset. Mm -hmm. If we're upset about something, we're not allowed to express that. Or if we do, it has to be within the parameters that are set by the person that is claiming to be the victim. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I love that because I feel like I can, I can address that from like two angles. The first angle is that I, I want to talk about like uh, the expression of righteous anger. In indigenous cultures, we have that. Like we don't cancel people or we don't like get overtly upset if people express anger to each other. In Arab cultures, that's like totally acceptable. Like even even like at a, at a, at a basic level, like you go to a suq khudra, like, you know, to like the farmer's market, you know, and you're just, so you, you feel like someone's like playing you and you're like, no, I'm, no, yeah. that's not true, you know? And you like go all up in their faces and it's like, you make up in like 10 minutes because you've managed to express that anger. You, you know, you don't carry that into your therapy session later in the week. You just like address it on the spot. And I feel feel like we got this belief from the west like for us we, we don't we don't have that in our culture you, you know this is this is the idea of false civilization which is what they call but we have every right to be angry you know and to express our anger it's like what what is happening is like beyond enraging people are out here trying to monopolize privilege and that's the second portion of it right they're trying to monopolize privilege so much that when people are speaking up and they're like no actually this is like not a monopoly this is a world where we all share we all like have freedoms we all deserve that it's 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 a godly righteous right and who are you to come and tell me that I can't have that? And literally, that's kind of like the second angle. We are trying to embody the freedoms that are our godly rights. You, you know, like we don't need anybody's permission. But for some reason, someone appointed themselves. <laughs> they had no business appointing themselves to be the gatekeepers of privilege. And they were like, no, to Basim Yusuf, you're, you're being too audacious. You don't get to come and share my privilege. No, thank you. You know, no matter how articulate you are, no matter how well-educated you are, because that's the foundation of racism. And I say this all the time. I say that it doesn't matter how articulate, smart, well-spoken I am, because it's the messenger, not the message. Palestinians, there's, there's nothing new that's, be, that's being discussed right now. Palestinians have been saying whatever's been going on right now for 75 years. But then you had other people kind of like amplifying our message, which we're very grateful for, don't get me wrong. But isn't it psychotic 
if you really think about it, that we've been saying it for 75 years. Granted, it took us like a few generations for us to become like perfect English speakers, understand the logic of the West, like infiltrate in the system to understand like what goes through and what doesn't go through for, for our message to be heard. You know, and that goes to show you what other messages around the world aren't being heard. I've interviewed several people on this platform thus far when they've expressed their thoughts about current affairs or even just sociocultural commentary. And a lot of the time we talk about privilege and we also talk about needing validation from the West or not needing validation from the West. Yeah. So where, where do you stand in that? Absolutely no need for validation from the West. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're good to go. <laughs> Literally, uh, that is that is very true. And I feel like that goes back to my point of being so grounded in who you are and knowing exactly who you are. Again, it's, it's, it's standing against this cultural kidnapping because you can be many things at once. I, I was having a discussion with my friend about how Edward Said never taught his kids Arabic and I'm sorry to Edward Said's kids if I'm betraying this like <laughs> like rephrase of the situation and they grew up to be bitter about it and I feel like a lot of people in our generation or generations to come would be bitter if we don't remind them to be grounded in who they are if we don't work hard in them understanding their language because our language is also spiritual and that that gives us the need to not want the West's validation because a lot of us are really grounded in God, whether we like it or not as Arabs and as, as Muslims, because our language is very spiritual. Like even when you like get off a cab, you go like, like may God give you health and what like, mm -hmm. you know, like two words, but like it's, it's a prayer mm -hmm. in, in a way. So I feel like all of that kind of like when you know how beautiful you are. It's kind of like, why do you need someone else to tell you how beautiful you are? And we're and we're learning that right now because I feel like we've we've been sort of like blinded from these facts, distracted by, oh, like what's on social media? Like, well, how do I look? How do I send a certain image about who I am, how cool I am, like what socioeconomic status I'm, I'm from, like all of that stuff. But now that we're seeing what's going on right now, I, I truly also feel a shift in myself. I can't speak for the world. I don't care anymore. I'm like... What was I thinking? Thinking that this is going to distract me from what is the, like the truth, the fundamental truth that you are here because to do good. Like literally, I always like remember the Quranic verse. Like we, you are here to be tested on who's going to do the most good. And I'm out here competing to, like for the West's validation or to look cool and get the best bag or whatever. Like who cares? Like literally nobody cares, you know? <laughs> and I just really feel like the, the West's validation is like a thing from the past. But there's a little caveat here that I really want to emphasize to my fellow Arabs that in order for you to also not subconsciously want to val like, you know, want the West's validation, it's very, it's imperative that we all be very grounded in our language, in our culture, and in our sense of belonging to each other. Because we are creating the community for one another. Nobody, nobody, nobody else is. Yes, and it's something that I've stressed on so many times. I feel like I'm a broken record. But <laughs> whenever anyone asks me, what's the fundamental difference between the West and, you know, the Middle East? And I always say collectivism versus individualism. 100%. West is individualism. You know, Arab indigenous cultures is collectivism. 100%. So let us embrace that collective mentality for everyone. I mean, why is it that the sort of uprising of how we think about the situation is led by those from 
indigenous cultures, African-American, Native Americans, anyone who's in a position where they are marginalized or underrepresented are just rising up and being like, I hear you, I see you, I'm with you, let's yeah. let's ride, you know? And yeah. I think that that's where the beauty is. And a lot of time people will say, you know, oh, if you speak really good English, you like speaking the language of the colonizer, you've been colonized as such, but not every single Arab, this is not speaking for every Arab, not every yeah. single Arab was raised in the Arab world and then grew up learning English. Some were raised in the West, myself, I was raised in the West. Yeah. And so my understanding towards my Arab identity is very much from the outside in, not mm. from the inside out, because I was raised elsewhere. So coming back anywhere in the in, in the Arab world, the first thing I always think to myself is like, why are we asking for approval for this type of stuff? Or like, why are we catering to a Western audience when the demographic that we're targeting is like civic society, which is homegrown, which is the people that we are dealing with right now. So yeah, all of these questions were like buzzing in my head and I just, I couldn't connect the dots. I didn't understand why that was going on. Like Nader Nehdi was speaking uh, earlier in a, in a podcast and he was explaining like, you know, speaking English is obviously is associated with privilege, but it's also a way to stratify where you sit on the socioeconomic standing. Like if you speak really good English or languages of the West, then you're automatically viewed as better or more sophisticated, well-read, well-traveled, well-raised well even to a degree. And mm. it's like, yeah, but why are we using that benchmark or that criteria to measure ourselves against? I feel like this type of thinking like is literally what sent us like downhill. It really did. An association of speaking the colonizer's language is also a form of cultural kidnapping. Like you've been kidnapped as an Arab child into a different culture that's not even yours. And you're kind of like left in a place that is weird. You know, you're, you're not really, you don't belong to them because you're just a kidnapped kid <laughs> on foreign territory. I was able to ground myself first in my language and then go like, okay, now that I'm like pretty, you know, good and, and grounded in my identity, how do I go and translate that? And I literally, that that's kind of like how this whole thing started. How do I become so good at translation that I reflect the true experience of what it means to be Arab? Now, you can't translate everything because it's, it's kind of like Joe Dispenza says this all the time. It's like, if you eat a mango, I can't explain to you how a mango tastes. You have to taste a mango. And in the same way, that's how it feels to like speak Arabic. But this, I, I also see a shift because people are like, now they realize it's cultural kidnapping. This happened, what we're talking about right now. I want to say if you're like a 90s, early 2000s kid, you know, where people were like, oh, like, yeah, learn English so that you're more sophisticated. You have more opportunities because Again, language is associated with privilege and opportunities. And if you speak English, well, now you have access to the world. And that's true because I used to have make content in, in Arabic. Nobody cared. <laughs> I started making content in English. Everybody's listening to me. And it's fine. It's unfortunate, but it's fine. Because if I can deliver my message and then slowly hold your hand, slowly hold all of the people in the West's hand and go like, hey, You've been culturally kidnapped. Let's go. And it's a lot of effort. And it's a lot of effort. And a lot of people are like frustrated, you know, but I go like, what, what do you want to do? Do you want to just be frustrated or do you want to work on it? Because when you work on it, trust me, you're going to thank yourself so much that you have acquired a connection to who you are in terms of your identity. And you can pass down, you pass that down to your kids now. And that's why I feel like language is so, 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 so important. Like, it's just my favorite thing in the world. Like, the Arabic language is 
top, top, number one favorite like subject in the world? There are a lot of people on social media, especially Palestinians, that are vocalizing their position, their thoughts, their ideas when it comes to the current affairs. And they, once again, are in two camps. There's one camp, which is like, I'm not going to hold your hand during this process. You should know better and do mm. better and stop being so ignorant and do your research and homework. This is really yeah. annoying. And then you have the other end that are really overextending their hand because they really want to educate. They really want to find some middle ground or try to find some way to connect the dots, at least fill in the gaps that they felt like the West wasn't really, you know, filling for all intents and purposes. So where do you sit on that spectrum? I want to say I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle of that spectrum because there are genuine people out there that really want to learn. And for me, again, it's everything is like a two-way street, like how I see it, how they see it. And part of empathy is understanding, okay, how the other person is, see is seeing it. So it honestly, it's, it's, it's a combination of things. So if I see someone that's truly curious, very respectful, trying hard, you know, wanting direction, then I would go like all in. I'm like diving headfirst. I'm like, come here. I got you, my friend, <laughs> you know? So like, I really like take people by the hand, but then there is also people who just want to challenge you. And I feel like we got to a point where Palestinians and indigenous cultures and black people have done so much emotional labor for the world. Like we, we've done it, like it's there, you know, just why don't you go one step further and just go find it. It, it really is about preserving energy for us right now. And I feel like it's already exhausting being Palestinian. <laughs> like, trust me, <laughs> like I live it. It's exhausting. Y you know, you're in constant fear of, am I saying too much? Am I saying too little? Like, am I going to get in trouble? Am I not going to get in trouble? Like, it's just like a whole like situation because the whole world is looking at you right now, wanting you like basically annihilated for someone else to have your country and your land and your culture and everything. So like, there is like this sort of like holding on to our energy that we really need right now. And I'm not going to get distracted by people who don't want to learn, you know, but if you do want to learn and I know that I'm planting a seed for the future, because a lot of what we do in life is cumulative effort, is are things that we're never going to see maybe in our lifetime. This is like why I do this, because I go like, okay, I'm planting a seed right now. I don't know who's going to see it. I don't know who's going to like do something with it, but I hope for the best. You know, we always get told, you know, are oh, you going to be on the right side of history? It's like, well, when you align yourself with truth and an understanding to humanity, then yes, you yeah. have to be on the right side of history. Something doesn't sit right with you. You have to wake up and face the music. Or as I like to say to people, like, welcome and smell the airway. Yes, like you really, exactly. really do. I wanted to bring back the conversation that you had mentioned to me off the podcast, but I found it really fascinating. And you had said something about the purple monster. What, what, what was that about? Um, I learned that in therapy. I love that like theory. My, my therapist used to always say like, imagine someone had called you, you're an ugly purple monster. It's funny that you're wearing purple today, but you're not an it's ugly purple monster. Lilac. It's actually <laughs> lilac. <laughs> but she's like, imagine someone calls you an ugly purple monster. What would you think? And I was like, um, nothing. You're a like, little bit Delulu. Yeah, you're a little bit Delulu. And she said, this is exactly the beliefs that you hold about yourselves. So if you've internalized, because, you know, the West sends messages about our identity, right? Arab terrorist, Arab savage, Arab uncivilized. If you get really offended and caught up by these things, that means you've internalized it about yourself. Because if you didn't believe that about yourself, you're like, okay, yeah, whatever, you know? And it's, it's this messaging that you receive that you have to like be bulletproof against. You're like, I don't believe that about myself. And I don't care. You say that doesn't mean anything to me. You know, I know who I am and I'm going to like fight my fight and I'm going to like show up in the world as the person that I know who, like, 
what, what, who I am, you know, I know what it means to be Arab. I know, like you said, like being generous, being deep, being philosophical, our, our language is like so rich, so profound, so intense. Like, it's just how many things that you, you know, in English that you can translate in Arabic like this, but then the other way around, you're like, uh, my friend, that's a concept. Bareke. I'm like, but is not even a word. It's a concept. You know, it's like the proliferation of goodness and well, like, how do, how do you even say that? Like, you can't explain it. Like a lot of the words that we have, we say one word, but it's literally like a thesis. The purple monster is who you believe you are if you get triggered. But if you don't believe that about yourself, nobody, nobody can touch that button because it doesn't exist. You know, someone calls you a purple monster. You're like, okay, yeah, whatever. But if someone calls you, you know, a savage and you've internalized that and like, oh my God, I'm a savage, then it, it's going to hit you. It's going to hurt you. It's such a basic form of discrimination. Like when someone just calls you like a savage or you're primitive or you're barbaric, it's like, really, do you have no depth that that's the, that's the baseline from yeah, which you yeah, understand yeah, yeah, yeah. me? But that is just a perfect example of how communication, language, social and nonverbal cues, all yes. of those things together, when you marry it all together and tie it up with a pretty red Little colonialist bow, bow <laughs> yeah. you know, you have these types of interactions. 100%. And if there is a message to people who are from the West or people who do not understand that, it's like, take that as just one example of yeah. how people have to constantly be in a position where they on some form of defense. And I know like, yes. I don't want to use yes. the word defense because we had mentioned that, but it's, it really is. It is like, defense though. You have to safeguard yourself. <sighs> that is like literally the epitome of passive aggressiveness. And it's funny because it's done in a way where the West, I feel like we're in a, we're in a time and place where the West, literally if anybody's watching me from like the Western audience needs to address their bitterness towards Arab success, because you know why that threatens again, the sharing of privilege, because I feel like the West sees us as in two ways. They see us as people that they need to save or people that they need to exploit. It's one of two. So when you are in that situation where you're like, I, first of all, I don't need your saving. And second of all, you're not allowed to exploit me. That's when they lose it. And I feel like a lot of the comments I get on social media is because of that, because I have like a very firm boundary on no exploitation of Arabs or of Palestinians of Muslim, like, no, thank you. Not going to happen. And we don't need your saving. And that's like a, like a, a ground that is uncharted territory for the West usually, because they want to save you, you know, they want you to be weak and they want to save you. And you're like, no. And, and that, and that's when like the racism really like starts to surface. Like, and I say that in one of my videos that, you know, oh, like you're, you're not like them. We like you. Yeah, and it's like, that uh, a lot. well, no, no, no. I am like them. Yeah, yeah. I am actually like them. I'm actually <laughs> exactly like them. I'm exactly <laughs> like them. And I love them. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to advocate for them. You know, I, I don't want to join your club because that, again, we go back to the MLM. You join our exclusive club and then we can exploit them together. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's fascinating. It's a fascinating world to be in. Well, Zena, this has been an amazing chat. I mean, we could talk for hours and hours Literally. and hours. It's been Literally. so good. It's been so good. I didn't know that I'm going to have this much to say, but looks like I do. There's a lot to say. There's, <laughs> There's a lot, a to, lot say. to say. And more and more. Uh, and speaking of more chat, where can people find you on social media? I'm on Instagram mostly um, at zena.matar. Um, and yeah, that's kind of like mainly where I'd love people to get in touch with me and share their thoughts. And I want to like just close this off by saying that I truly, my aim in life is for people to do good with what they have and for Arabs 
and Palestinians and Muslims and everybody and all marginalized communities to truly, truly, truly know that they have a space in the world and they are allowed to take space and they don't need permission from anybody to take up space. And I feel like one of my roles in life is to be everybody's cheerleader, you know, to go like, yes, you can, <laughs> you know, please do it. Don't let anybody like, and I know this sounds cliche, but there's so much messaging that, you know, you're not enough, you're not worthy, but you are, you really are. And please take up space. Zaina's going to be the amazing Palestinian auntie <laughs> that you need, like, bravo alayki, shatura, like, ahsenti ya binti, you know, <laughs> bravo, all of that stuff. Exactly. And, um, but thank you so much for sharing everything. So we much. really appreciate it. And I hope that this platform has given you and those like-minded individuals, as you spoke of, the chance for them to be seen and to be heard. And for those of you who are listening or even watching, please like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Ma'asalami. Goodbye. Ma'asalami.